This is Leva Bates, AEW's librarian, co-host of the Geek Soapbox, renowned Twitch partner, and a two-time Flower City Comic Con guest. And you are listening to Gaming Street Irregulars. But you better listen to my show first. I'm just saying. Thanks. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever time it is. Welcome to Gaming Street Irregulars. My name is James Irish. I'm joined, as always, by Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone. And today we have a special guest in the uh, digital podcast booth. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome well-recognized cosplayer and avid Dungeons & Dragons player, Aka Kyoga. Hi, guys. Yay! We should have fanfare for our guests. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, I, I like to pick out individual ones for everybody. I, I found uh, the Chrono Trigger victory fanfare for, for SM Zelda rules. I picked out the Plastic Man title card music for Pembroke. But we will pick something out appropriate for you. In fact, if you have a good idea, Kikyoga, just shoot shoot the idea to me and we will incorporate it and our audience will have already heard it so this conversation will make no sense to them <laughs> exactly <laughs> good so first uh, for those those out there who may not have heard of this this young lady uh tell us how long you've been cosplaying for for starters oh geez um <laughs> so i originally got started cosplaying back in like 2013 2014 uh, I've been in the con, like the con scene since 2006, so I've I've been around the block quite a, like quite a while. It's been honestly a great time, kind of seeing this community grow and change over the years, and it's just really fun getting to see like the newer you know the newer crowd of generation coming in doing what they do, and I'm just like, you you know back in my day get to do that stuff now, where it's like you guys didn't have all these things that we had. We had to do all this on our own, but fortunately it's like you know the cosplay community is, is a welcoming and awesome community to be a part of and i'm still happy that i'm a part of it and getting to see what it's turning into today i'm gonna let you in on a little secret you can actually pull the back in my day card on me because you actually got started on conventions earlier than i did <laughs> however you cannot pull that card on me because i was dragged to conventions um, back in 1998, so. Okay. Yeah, so I could probably pull the card on you, but. Hey, that's fine. We have a hierarchy now. We beat James. <laughs> work. Okay, that's and, me, the new, the, okay, I can work with that. <laughs> Sorry, James. And that's fine. That's fine. I, I don't mind being the butt of the joke. That's how I get most of my comedy. Ba-dum-tsh. <laughs> <laughs> We've gone to toilet humor. Great. That's but, uh, one. So, so uh, I've been telling uh, most of the people on the convention board uh, for Flower City Comic Con, our parent organization, that uh, you that you were been on the back cover of uh, Blizzard's Big Book of Cosplay. Uh, how did they get in touch with you? So, funny enough, one of the people who's in charge of the BlizzCon cosplay contest actually emailed me. And said that they were a huge fan of my Orissa cosplay and that they wanted to do an interview with me. And of course, me being a huge Blizzard fan, I'm just like, someone from Blizzard is a fan of me. <laughs> so I, I did the whole interview, but they never told me like how they were going to use it or like how, where are they going to put the pictures. And the one year I missed BlizzCon was the year that they like released the books to the people who went and somebody found me and they said, hey, is this your Symmetra cosplay on the back of the book? And I said, holy crap, that's me. And so it was a surprise to basically everyone because they never really said, hey, this is exactly the page we're using your pictures or your uh, interview for. They just kind of took everything we gave them and made it into a book. And I just so happened to be the lucky one to end up on the back cover. 
That's awesome. They picked a great picture to put on there, too. I've got a copy of the book. I cannot wait for you to hopefully come to a convention in our area or me get to a convention in your area when and only when it's safe and have you sign that sucker. Oh, yeah. I've signed quite a few um, Blizzard cosplay books. It's really fun when people are specifically are like, I love your Blizzard cosplay. Can you sign the cosplay book? And I'm like, oh, my God, like I'm in a book. So I'm always super, <laughs> I'm always super flattered when people bring it when I guest at conventions because I'm just like, oh, like he, you want me to sign like a physical thing that you enjoy reading. Like it feels it feels really cool. And, and some Blizzard will probably seep into today's conversation because we are talking about player classes in tabletop RPGs and, on top of that, how they've influenced video games across the spectrum, ranging from your traditional Dungeons & Dragons adaptations to JRPGs to even the first-person shooter genre. So we will dive into that after this very short break. Right, so welcome back to Gaming Street Irregulars. I am Chrissy Harding. With me, I have James Irish, and the uh oh, I think we just lost Chrissy. Oh no, she got sucked into the void. <laughs> she was just about to introduce the insanely talented Aka Kyoga. Hello, I didn't, I, I, I didn't steal her. I promise. <laughs> okay, well. I'm going to quickly fire up Discord and find out what precisely happened. In fact, you know what? I think we're going to have to stop the recording right here. All right. Okay, and we are back yet again. Yes, we this are. This seems to be the podcast from Hades, and I don't mean the Switch game. Although that is a good game. So, like I said, we are talking about character classes, and the genesis of this, of course, grew out of the tabletop game Chainmail, when Gary Gygax translated that into Dungeons & Dragons. And that form was incredibly primitive in that you could be a fighter, you could be an elf, but you could not be a fighter elf, mm -hmm. or you could not be a dwarven cleric, or anything like that. That you know, We talk about progress in the system today, but back then, that's like Stone Age, it feels like now. Especially going back and looking at um, one of the campaigns, my all evil campaign I'm part of, uh, Randy Metris, who was on our last podcast, he actually has something known as the, pe we call it the peanut butter handbook because it, it's really the player's handbook, but somehow he typed a B into it. So we now call it the peanut butter handbook. <laughs> and it's from, um, it's actually Dungeons and Dragons Advance, which is really uh, edition two. And yeah, like they go through like if you are this, you cannot be a this because of your class, because of your race. So it's very restrictive if you think about it. But it makes sense in some ways because certain classes can do certain, you know, certain races can do certain things, but there's abilities that stop them from doing other things. But yeah, I like that E uh, five lets you have more of a range of how to make your characters. Have you had any experience with any of the older editions uh, before before fifth or fourth uh, Akakiyoga? Um, unfortunately, no. I kind of got into D and D in like literally, actually, when fifth edition came out. So that was kind of like in twenty fourteen. That was originally the time that I started playing, just because it's a lot easier for you to kind of do a pickup game of five E and be like, all right, here's like the starter kit everything's already written in for you. All right, we can play a game. <laughs> yeah. So um, it was a very fun, like, intro into D&D &D for me. I had never played anything like it before back when. And I'm happy that I'm still doing it. It's really fun. Uh, I am I have, like, three campaigns that I'm kind of, like, a part of, like, intermittently. Oh, my and, goodness. 
unfortunately, they're not all happening at the same time. They're, they're all like online. And there, you know, we kind of play maybe like once every two to three weeks, just to kind of, you know, keep ourselves busy during COVID times. But it's, it's fun because I'm playing different, like different classes for all three of them. And I'm a part of a Pathfinder camp. Don't even get me started on Pathfinder. But oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Pathfinder is a whole, like, a whole other. It's like D&D, but not D&D. Like, it's like if, if D&D was algebra, Pathfinder is trigonometry. Oh, yeah. Pretty like, much. It's the most complex, convoluted thing. But I'm not even saying that, that because it's a bad thing. Oh, no. It's a great no. game. Like the the fact that like first of all like you can't like do like get you can't gank people in D and D but in Pathfinder oh yeah you can you could just like you know stand behind this person and be like I'm gonna use this as my sneak tech and I'm gonna be behind the person so I'm gonna get ganked like gank and be like wait you could do that it's like oh yeah it's not D and D like but I didn't know you could do that and it's just reading the the manual over and over again to make sure that you're not like doing something wrong because there's like a bajillion things you can do in your one turn. It's it's so much fun, but definitely overwhelming if you've never played. <laughs> oh yeah. I did I did Pathfinder once and I liked it better because of, you know, you can actually like if you're playing a rogue, you can actually sneak up on someone using both your stealth sneak attack and being able to like get them from behind and there's no penalty. Like it's it's allowed. Where like if you try to do it in D and D, you got to roll I think like a natural twenty just to pull all of that off. And I'm like, oh my god, I love this game. At the same time, I can't find anyone in the area who does who does Pathfinder that I trust playing with. And that's always Ooh, the hard that is part. A, a hurdle. I feel yeah. like the the biggest hurdle for Pathfinder is like the entrance fee into playing Pathfinder. Like, oh. if you want, like, the books for, like, the DM and everything, like, those books are so expensive. I know. They're, like, dictionary-sized books, and, and each of them are, like, 70 to $80 a pop. You, you could use them as a doorstopper, in fact. Mm-hmm. You could. So, steering back to the idea of character classes and, uh, and, and other options... I was thinking about how best to break this down and it just occurred to me, look at it like you would look at playing a game of Overwatch. You get your your direct damage dealers, you've got your your tanks, and you've got your support and healing characters. It's a little more complicated than that because obviously Overwatch is a shooter rather than a an all-encompassing every mechanic you can think of tabletop game, but still, it, the breakdown mostly works. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty much almost any game where you have a party system, you're going to have your your tank, you're going to have your healer, you're going to have your thief, you know, your sneaky, sneaky, stabby, stabby, um, as I like to call them, because it's always <laughs> fun play. Like you get to play with sharp, pointy objects, and you get to be sneaky. I love it. I definitely think of D and D kind of even like World of Warcraft. Where like when you're running a dungeon and you yes. have like five people running the dungeon, like you have your tank, you have your three DPS, and you have your healer. But your three DPS aren't always the same. You can have a mage, you can have a warlock, you can have your you know stabby stabby rogue, you can have a paladin, you can have like an assortment of different classes of people, but they all do damage in yeah. a sense. And even the tanks usually wind up being able to do damage because just standing there uh, aggroing the enemy can be kind of boring sometimes. Oh, yeah. We have a, our friend who plays a demon hunter tank, and he end up, ends up doing sometimes more damage than the DPS does. Demon hunters are broken. Don't at me. But it's <laughs> <laughs> very important because they have to keep aggro so the squishy DPS and the healers don't die. So they have a very vital role in WoW, for sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, I wish Chris were able to make it because he is the most veteran World of Warcraft player Chrissy and I know. He's also our our convention's vice president. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm you two would have a ton to talk about, Akakioga. <laughs> we should bring her back when we do the World of Warcraft one. Absolutely. I can see oh, her yeah. and Tanya suddenly friending each other on World of Warcraft. <laughs> as long as they're horde, that's all that's all that's all it takes. 
I think she is. I think she is Horde. Good. They picked well. <laughs> <laughs> and that reminds me, I've got to get back into trying World of Warcraft. I played one session, and uh, the next thing I know, I just, I just wound up stopping for reasons I don't even understand. I recommend getting into it now. Shadowlands has been honestly amazing. Uh, I've never... I like it's hard for me to like pick certain expansions that are the best, but Shadowlands has definitely captured my attention more than other expansions that I've been a part of. And so if you if you want to come back, I highly recommend it. It's a good time to come. Join join her, James. Join her. <laughs> Do it. It it won't take much to compel me. It. It's Do more it. a matter of time because I've got a I've got to edit this thing and I've got to write the blog and so on and so on and so on. And then I got to fit time for eating and sleeping and researching next week's podcast, which is going to be something completely different, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it will happen in, at some point. And, and I will definitely let you know, Akakioga and my, my other flower city comic con friends, but, but that actually said we're the Warcraft actually segues us into the considerations of picking a, a, a player character's, uh, I don't even almost want to say race. I more want to say species. That, that kind of says it a little better because, you know, there's going to be a world of difference between a dwarf and an orc or a blood elf or a drow elf or, whatever, or a night elf or, or a, a polygonal elf or a or a socket wrench elf, or I can just keep adding random nouns and verbs to elf, and it's probably something that exists now. Um, yeah, that that yeah. is that that is actually quite true. I can't even I can't fight that one. It is quite true because, like, even within the elf race, it's our species itself. There's like six or seven different types. And that's just, that's, that's off. And that's just three. That's just what you can pull from the older editions. I know in fifth, they only really list three, which is high, wood, um, gray, and drow. And even then they don't go into the gray elves as much. They just, they kind of, they're there, but they don't talk about them. We can't forget half elves. And oh yeah, then there's the half species. Yes. Yes. We can't forget Tannis. Can't. Of dragon of, of dragon lance, mm -hmm. so but, but that. Yeah. But Chrissy, you're actually a very avid drow player. Uh, tell me about what appeals to them to you. You know the thing with drows is is um, they can go either way. Like they're normally supposed to be considered, lack of a better term, evil. They're not. They're not. Um, they're not surface dwellers. Um, they kind of look at the surface dwellers as like pff, wusses um, for the most part. So you can actually, but you can play a good drow. A good example of that is Drizit uh, Du Urdan, um, who I believe is out of the Pathfinder series. Um, um, I Actually, I think he's in Forgotten Realms. Is he Forgotten Realms? Yeah. Yeah, he. I know he's. I know he's one of the offshoots. He's not actually in general. He's part. It's like one of the offshoots from D and D. Right. The main um, D and D is Greyhawk. Is Greyhawk, and he is very much like he plays. You know, he's a ranger and he's a good guy. Um, I've actually played both sides of that. I played. I've played a Drow who was extremely good, and I'm. I've and I'm currently playing a Drow who is, for lack of a better term, chaotic. <laughs> Who pretty much does what she wants to do. She's in with a bunch of people who are lawful evil or we don't have anyone chaotic evil, but we have like lawful evil and um, um, like neutral. She's kind of the chaotic neutral, like the true chaotic character in that class because she's just like, I'm doing this to get information for my people. I really don't care about these other guys. They could die and I'll just keep doing what I'm doing. Like, she's very much a, if it happens, awesome, but she kind of does what she wants, um, which is kind of fun, too, because you can actually have, oh, needle, um, you can actually have some fun with that because um, there's not a whole lot written down about the drow culture. So, I mean, there's the basics. They live underground. 
you know, they're kind of a slaver race. Um, you know, they're, but other than That's that. That's the part about the drow that really gives me the squicks. Yeah. Where every character I've kind of played, um, I've kind of, they're, they kind of break away from that part of it, which is kind of a cool part of, of when you make your own characters because you can create their own backstory. Um, my first char- drow character, her name was um, Feore, um, and I named her after one of the goddesses from Legend of Zelda. Don't at me. Um, and she and her mother hated the slaver part of drow culture. And she actually was a half-breed. She was half-drow, half-human, who was on a mission to find her father so her and her father can save her mother from her mother's people, the drow. Um, Because her father disappeared when she was younger in a raid. Someone had raided the village they were living in. And because they were drow, um, her mother knew no other village would take them in. So they went back to the drow culture, to the underground for safety, and then her mother, realizing they were going to sacrifice her daughter, you know, kind of kicked her out. You know, was like, you need to go. You need to find your, your father's people and live with them. Handed her a medallion that was her father's crest. And so her story is she's been trying to find the human, the human tribe that her father came from. Um, unfortunately, she never did because that, that campaign ended up stopping due to... Uh, for lack of a better term, YOLO players. Oh, goodness. And, um, and then the current one I'm playing, she's just she just had enough of her culture's ways and she was just like, well, screw this. I'm going to go do my own thing. And she kind of fell in with a bunch of very evil people. Hmm. Now, I want to get Akakioka back into the conversation yes, here please. as well. Because, uh, no, because okay. I love you that and I... <laughs> you and I actually have something in common, Akakioga. We both appreciate the tieflings. Ah, yes, our, our devil friends. Oh, I love tieflings. I'm obsessed with tieflings. They're great. I have too many. <laughs> Tell us about a couple favorites in particular and feel free to ramble. Oh, gosh. Okay. Um, so. My favorite color is purple, so you already know where this is going. Perfect. <laughs> I have two tiefling characters. One is a warlock, and the other is a blood hunter. I made them two completely different because I love magic users. I love magic users. Wow, I love them in D and D. And so my deep, my I call them demon hunter, but my blood hunter, she's actually my favorite. Because I've kind of modeled her very like similarly to Geralt from the Witcher series. And based just kind of based on that whole realm of like, hey, like I'm kind of like a, a per like a mercenary who gets paid to kill things. Give me money, I'll kill your thing for you if it's a problem, kind of like that. And we're our world is based around the dragon cult trying to, you know, stop the rise of Tiamat from destroying the world. And so I've Based her instead of her calling her a blood hunter, I've called her a dragon hunter, and I've changed her blood phenotype to being of a black dragon. So then that way, when she's fighting dragons, she kind of gets a couple advantages based on what dragon she's fighting, things like that. I absolutely love her because, first of all, getting to use a giant great sword is something that I've always wanted to do in my real life. <laughs> Women with swords are very powerful creatures, and I would let them cut me in half. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. And uh, so her name is Elamara. She is my baby, even though she would literally kill me, and that's okay. She is um, lawful neutral. She has, like, no real affiliation with, like, anybody outside of the people she's surrounded by, a.k.a. her party members, even though one party member in particular is a little bit chaotic and she's kind of trying to keep her in check a little bit by not doing something stupid but she does something stupid anyway so think of the think of the um how do you say the like the personality differences between Geralt and then Jaskier or Dandelion from Witcher it's like that and it's hilarious like that's literally like their relationship in general it's just this back and forth just like Geralt doesn't give a crap Jaskier's like all up in his business and it's like all right I, I like this a lot. Now kiss. 
(laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. She like, the one big thing I noticed even about playing tieflings in particular, and I definitely wanted to try and touch on this a little bit is being a woman of color, being a black woman, it kind of playing a character in D and D that also doesn't have like a great history or a great background with like other characters in the universe. Racism kind of gets touched on a little bit and it always kind of hits home just a tad because when I play d and I'm playing this character, one, because I don't even think about the race at all in terms of them, you know, being a devil or looking like they're evil or people being suspicious of them. But that always comes up and it's always a topic of, you know, like a poking object of interest for the DM to kind of be like, you walk into this bar and they see that, you know, they see the six foot tall purple tiefling walk in and suddenly you have like eyes looking at you that, you know, they're suspicious of your presence and just hearing that sentence if you just took the tiefling part out of it and like i could have replaced that with me like i could still see that happening to myself and so i feel like i play characters that are different just so i can feel the cathartic like the catharticness of being a character that looks different that people don't necessarily like at first to be like, hey, I'm not like the ones you heard in fantasy stories or blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm one of the good ones. I'm here to help you guys. I'm not a threat. And it kind of gives me a little pleasure in knowing that I can kind of be that in that story. And not so much in real life sometimes because people are dumb. But <laughs> I get oh, it out and I get it out in d d And that actually brings me back around to some to something I've been thinking of a lot lately in the wake of the release of Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and a lot of the discussion about about how certain uh, species and subspecies of Dungeons and Dragons are presented. And uh, I think I actually briefly discussed this with you on Twitter, Akakyoga. It It's great that Dungeons and Dragons is flexible enough that we can make our own backstories, make our own settings and our own interpretations of what things should be but at the same time when the official the what the company is putting forward as lore for their product states things like these specific elves worship a dark god therefore they that's how they got dark skin that's frankly kind of hideous Well, I mean, when you have a bunch of white people write stories like this, you're going to get a lot of inferences from real life seeping into the fantasy world, whether you like it or not. And not having like those diverse voices from the get go of the creation of this game, they're trying to make up for it now because they're hearing their players say, hey, this is kind of racist and we shouldn't have to have this be the norm for these characters because you're putting them in a box of something that they can't escape in lore. So why not create something where if you want that to be your lore, that can be your lore. But now that it is written, the saying, hey, like you don't have to be what like what this originally was because we're giving you the flexibility to change your destiny kind of in a, in a way like that. Mm-hmm. I think that that's great. We're making strides now compared to what it was back in the day And I think that that's kind of just a sentiment to the fact that they're listening to their fans. And now that more and more people of color with like different disabilities and things like that are coming to play D&D, they're beginning to realize that the cookie cutter standard of like white people aren't the only ones playing this game anymore. And they need to try and at least foster a, a game of diversity and inclusivity to make people feel included and not so much like I have to stick by this racial trait and not like the game. Yeah. And that's, that's something that's I've from as long as I've been role playing, it's really cool. It's really nice to see that, that evolution um, of, of, of writing. Um, One of the, I played D and D when I was younger, the game that I did enjoy the most playing, um, and I still kind of play now is riffs because the people who created riffs literally put in the first sentence of the, of the DMs book and the players book is this is not set in stone. You can write your own story. 
here's just the basic guidelines. We'll put out more guidelines if you want us to, but this is your story as the player, as the DM. Don't take what we write as, as rock salad set in stone. And it was always something cool because they always kept putting it in their world's book of this is not set in stone. You can take it or leave it. Which is something I didn't see in other games where they're like, okay, here's your court, here's your book. These are the rules. Um, and I'm glad that there is that so more players and more diversity can come into these games because some of the best storylines that I've that I played out have actually happened in recent years because there is more diversity of players. You they, get more... they, I know that they just introduced the wheelchair mechanic in 5e, which yeah. I think is awesome. And I'm like, that's a, a combat wheelchair? Oh, like, yeah. first of all, people in real life who have a wheelchair, they're like, I want to joust in this. Like, that's like a thing that they probably think about. But like now they can like imagine that like being their character in D&D. Like, I feel like that would be so freeing for them to feel like they themselves are in the game. You know, and it, it's I and as a teacher, and one of the things we did talk uh, that we did do in a class was um, it was considered inclusion and multi multicultural in the classroom, and it was we were, did a there was a study that they did that as people get to see themselves in fantasy worlds, it makes them more successful in real life because it's a hey that's me. I can be that that's someone just like me. You know, you don't feel left out, you feel represented, and you feel like you have a voice. Mm -hmm. And that's Absolutely. the most amazing thing about it is as soon as you start to include more diversity in your games, um, hint, hint to DMs out there, more diversity, um, <laughs> the more you start to feel even in real life, that's such a connection that you feel more successful because you're not just sidelined you're represented you have a voice mm -hmm. you know it's, and a quick side note on the whole wheelchair matter to anybody out there who has a problem with it you guys have had not had a problem with professor x being one of the most powerful beings on the planet for decades and now suddenly a fantasy equivalent of that shows up and you're all up in arms what gives no my response to that is you can go blank yourself that that's my response. I'm not going to go with give me your reasons. It's a get over yourself. You right. know, like I you, want right. I want a wheelchair. Like I'm not even in a wheelchair, and I would want to drive that thing. <laughs> like I would want to drive it. Like that it's would like, be I, so cool. It's the crazy thing is, is they feel like once like a wheelchair comes in, suddenly something else is going to come in. They're like, oh, my game is not the same anymore. But you know what? This game has always been catered to you since the get-go. It's 2020, 2021, and like they just added like one disability into the game and suddenly people are up in arms. <laughs> Might look at it this way is you know, break out of your box. I guarantee you're they are the same people who play like the human champion, winner, you know, hero character that has to win the day, like that kind of character. And it's like, break out of your box, for God's sakes. Get out of it. You know, if you have a problem with a wheelchair, dude, rethink your life. It's like there's pirates with peg legs. You didn't have problems with them. With, with eye patches. Like you have half-blind characters running around. And missing and limbs. Think, oh, and missing, missing arms. arms. Yeah. And you think that's cool. The second we give them a mobile device upon which they can actually kick butt in and not have to worry about falling, you have a problem. And besides, it worked in Game of Thrones. Seriously. Right? Bran was amazing. Bran was awesome. Bran was also a walking encyclopedia, but... I mean, he had to have something to make up for the fact that he was kind of, you know, season one kind of just ruined his life. <laughs> Mm. Anyway, all right. I'm going for it. Yep, we're now tied with the DM one. <laughs> we still haven't beat Pembroke's yet. No one's beaten Pembroke's yet. I, I don't. I don't know if anyone will. He, he is so wonderfully random, and I love him for it. But uh, getting back to the idea of getting out of the box, and also tying things back over to Tieflings, you. you you, you reminded me, Akakyoga, of my 
principal tiefling character, uh, Kalista, who, who longtime listeners of the show, I say long time as if two months is a long time, will know that uh, that's been one of my reoccurring characters in Dungeons and Dragons. And it, it's, you know, I, I like taking character archetypes and going in wildly different directions with them. So this, this basically is a, a tiefling as Disney princess. So, so she, so you wind up with this uh, character with ram horns and skin, the color of a faded brick and dragon scales. Also, since she's a draconic origin sorceress, attracting little songbirds to her and giving splints to rabbits and other odd things like that. And uh, granted, that wasn't necessarily the original plan, but when my dungeon master at the time when I was first playing the character gave me a, uh, a, sta a staff with a quirk that, that led to those little animals being attracted to her, I just ran with it. I mean, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Oh my god, that would be like... I would, she's a drow, or not a drow, she's a druid. I went to drow, I don't know why I went to drow, she's a druid. No, but she's a druid, her, kind of like her class, she's calling animals to her. She would fall under the class of a druid. Because I guess, she's, I guess technically. Yeah, not a drow. Drow is an elf. Even, even though she's, I, I guess, I guess that wound up accidentally multi-classing her then. Sorcerer's well, druid, who knew? Hey, it's magic, just more nature-based. That's awesome. Yeah. So, let's uh, let, let's take the conversation in a somewhat different direction. Let's. What player characters do we recommend for beginning role players? What archetypes? What uh, classes specifically? It will depends on your playing style. If you think about it, like if you're somebody who, when you play, are, is a run in there just start wailing on people obviously like a barbarian or a fighter would probably be your best bet because that's what those characters do they go running into a fight and just start swinging weapons like you know if you're somebody who likes to play more cerebral maybe um like a rogue or a more craftier character type would be best if you love magic definitely a cleric or sorcerer you know, I think it depends on your playing style. But at the same time, I, I worry in some cases that some of the spellcaster classes have a more difficult learning curve. Akiyoga, have you encountered anything like that? Um, When I originally started playing my warlock, kind of. But if you have a DM that's willing to work with you and like help you along while you're learning that class... I see no problems in you jumping into a class that may seem a little daunting because that's what your DM is there to help you do. Is They're there to help you have fun, learn your class to the best of your ability, and then over the course of a couple sessions, you'll kind of just get a hang of how you just play that character in general. Because I, I would hate to have someone shy away from playing a harder class simply because it may be too hard, but if that's something that they genuinely want to do, then I would say just go for it, be open-minded, ask the DM for help. The internet is an amazing resource of other people who have played that exact same class. Absolutely. To kind of oh, come yeah. along with you and say, hey, like I'm having trouble trying to figure out like, I know I have this Eldritch Blast thing, but like what talent, what feat should I be taking? Or hey, like I have all these sorcery points, like what do I do with them? There's, you can ask the internet anything, and I bet somebody has answered that question at some point in time. Yeah, like, and Warlock was hard as my first like spellcaster class, and I definitely had to do my fair share of asking questions, reading the player's guide, asking things on the internet. And over time, I was like, okay, well, this this makes more sense than what it looks like on paper. And so, just biggest thing is be open minded. Pick something you want to do. Don't just pick it because it's easy. Because you won't have fun with it. Yeah. Pick 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 the class that speaks to you. The one that you read, you know, and read. And I, I do recommend read every class. You know, read all of them. Because um, there is such a thing as multi-classing. 
you may decide you like two classes. Um, in the Saturday Night Campaign that I'm part of, everyone multi-classes but my character. My character's the only one who did. I just decided not to multi-class because I already have enough trouble keeping track of one class's feats and features. I don't need a second one. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm not that good at multitasking when it comes to playing games because I get focused into my character. But I always tell you, but always read all the classes and find the one that speaks to you. And if you run, run into two of them, you know, start off with one because the nice thing about uh, uh, edition, fifth edition is you can actually add in a second class once you hit level three. Um, so you don't have to start off multi-classing. You can start with one class, and if you're like, hey, I kind of got this, I like to add on a second class, you could do it. And it wouldn't be, in, you know, and you could just kind of put it right, and you could just walk into it. And the DM is there to help you. They're not always your enemy, unless they're rolling 20s. Then they're your enemy. Then they're your enemy. Or they're determined to drop rocks on you. Yeah, I, I, one DM I used to have, I swear, had a notebook behind the screen where he was keeping track of how many times he total killed the party. Oh. Yeah, I swear he did, because every single time we played, we were always like one point within being a c complete TPK. One point on everybody. Mm. Of course, I could also say it was some of the players that I played with, too, but... Well, at the rate we're going, you cannot accuse us of being a school on a Saturday. Nope. We, we do not have no class. <laughs> but the other thing, too, is um, if you are someone out there who are looking for places to look at for help, um, I'm going to plug. Uh, check out the one of the first questions that we did in the DM one, because Randy actually lift, uh, listed off a bunch of wonderful websites for people to go to for help when playing D&D &D or setting up characters. And not just for D&D. &D. Uh, one of them, RPG.net, actually has several forums for several different games. Um, yeah, the internet is your friend. And also a time sink, but still your friend. <laughs> yeah, we don't talk about that part. No, that, that don't ignore it. We weren't. That's like Fight Club. Don't talk about. We don't fight. talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, what is your advice to some of the younger players out there? Like we have, we do have some teens who have started listening to us and looking for advice as a you know how to get into it and how to figure themselves out. I think that's the crazy thing. And the fun thing about D and D is that it gives you the space to kind of figure yourself out. You know, you can play someone who's the opposite of you. You can play someone who's the same as you. You can play something that you've always been interested in and you never thought that you'd ever try. And there's just, there's room for exploration in every nook, cranny and crevice of this game. And that's why I love it so much is that you can incorporate so many awesome things that you've always been interested in and then just like slam it into your character. If you love writing backstory, if you love writing stories like fan fictions, you will love making backstories. If you already play RPGs or if you play MMOs like WoW or Final Fantasy or anything like that that already has player classes, that would be an awesome way to also figure out if that's a class that you'd like to play in D&D &D as well. Because I noticed some people's personality types cater toward ranged players, or some also they want to be melee fighters. And it's it's an awesome way to kind of gauge, like, do you want to stick with what you love or do you want to try something new? And never be afraid of making mistakes. I think that's the biggest thing going into D&D &D, is that since it is such a vast game, there's so many things that you may miss because you're not going to be an encyclopedia of the player's handbook. You're not going to know every rule. You're not going to, you know, sometimes things may go wrong and, you know, that's okay. Just work with your DM. Make sure your, you know, your group of friends you're playing with are all, you know, open-minded as well as you are and just learn together because that's the greatest thing about this game is that it really does bring friends together or 
break them apart, but mainly bring them together. Don't don't <laughs> listen to that other. Thing. Hey man, some DMs make playing that game really difficult. So make sure you have somebody who's your DM being like the most just well knowledge source of open mindedness you can possibly find. Because <laughs> your DM will literally make or break your game. Oh. Well, you just described my DM to a T. He Which said, one? knowing that his DM is probably going to be listening to this podcast. Hi, Hi Seth. Seth. <laughs> Hi, Randy. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and that's the big, I think the big thing is you're only limited by your imagination with this game. Like, there really is no right or wrong way to play it. Well, nope. there is a wrong way. And it's that's if you play it like, like a video game and, and just think that you could go in and just beat up everything because... Sometimes beating stuff up isn't always the best way to go. Ah, uh, yes. Pure-blooded murder hobo. Oh, yeah. Every party has at least one. Sometimes we can keep them in check, and sometimes they, you, they just go and you're just like, who's got Thorn Whip? Get him back here. Which oh. actually make, makes me wonder what... Uh, hmm... You know, I had a thought, and now I lost it. <laughs> Isn't that just typically me? Or any, any one of us. But, you know, but I mean, one of the things is when you really get a good group that's open-minded, you get some really good stories out of out of what people did and how they pulled it off. And that's kind yeah, of... That actually thing. brings me to a story from, uh, from a group I was in with, uh, with the with uh, friends of mine who are now in San Francisco, Jeremy and Ryan, love you guys. Hope you're doing well. And we were, cons we were approaching this fortress run by a hobgoblin and it was loaded with more enemies than we could safely take on. So we decided we needed the biggest bluff possible. And it wound up almost like a parody of captain planet because it took our powers combined to make this thing work out. I used, my character used thaumaturgy to create a booming voice. There were a bunch of illusions and flight spells, and we essentially turned Ryan's character into the most perfect illusionary dragon we could. And it worked. The, the, the chaos we created with that one dragon, illusion... And everything just working in concert to make it happen was, pardon the word, spellbinding. <laughs> Get out. Get out now. <laughs> nice pun. I, I, you know, my one of my favorite ones to sit in was two, these two uh, guys back in college. They played bards. We had two bards in the group. And let me tell you, at, most people poo-poo the bard class, but watching these two, if you get someone who's really good with the bard class and you get two of them, oh my God, the stuff they got us into and out of. It was literally like living Elder the road to Eldorado with the two main characters, Miguel oh, I and- I love that movie. It was literally like those two main characters were in our party. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was, I mean, there was stuff that they did, like, they, I think they, we conned a dragon out of half of his gold without having to lift a sword. Like, it was, I mean, it was stuff that should not have worked that did. And Bard is one of those classes that I am going, I sit there, I'm like, I'm making that my next character. My next character is going to be a Bard because... People may poo-poo the bard, but let me tell you, you get a good person playing a bard, that bard is unstoppable. That bard can get you out of everything and get you into everything. It's such a it's such an underappreciated class to me. I've had this bard idea in the back of my head uh, on and off for years now. It's basically a mutant cross between uh, Sun Shang Zhang from the Dynasty Warriors franchise, obviously derived from the Romance of the Three Kingdoms book, which is itself derived from actual Chinese history, mixing her with Don Rickles. Oh my god. You know, going full insult comic. Oh my god. 
that that I'd have to see. I have to see that because that would be awesome. It would require a ton of prep work, though. And also a, a, a group of players who would be forgiving of missteps. Because when you go into the role, into the reign, the realm, rather, of insult comedy, you're going to misstep. Oh, Especially yeah. if you're not a professional comedian. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, no, usually, because, and I think, Bart, and this is part of getting outside your box, because usually the characters that I end up playing in role-playing games is either, like, the ranger or the rogue. I, I'm not a spellcaster in any way, shape, or form. I like my rangers and I like my rogues. Um, rangers is about as close to spellcasting as I can get because sometimes the spellcasting mechanic I get confused by. <laughs> I really do. And I'm usually like, my DM is like, at one point my DM is like, all right, what do you need me to explain? What's my saving throw again on spells? <laughs> <laughs> It's just like I explained it to you two minutes ago. I know. There's blonde in this brown hair. Don't you know that? <laughs> oh. Well, that's what they're there for. They're there to help you. Mm-hmm. So it's a tough job. It is. What's your favorite class to play, James? You know, I wish I had more tabletop experiences. I usually wind wind up uh, reverting back to fighter just because you know it's. You know, the basic sword and board tank is something every party needs, and most of the players I'm with like to do the bards and the rangers and the monks and the various spellcasters, and and you know somebody's got to be holding the line, and that usually wind, winds up being me. I tend to find myself filling in the roles people uh, don't typically want to play. You know, it's why in gym class I was always the goalie. And it's why whenever I play Overwatch, I tend to mostly play Mercy. Oh, but Mercy's hey, such Mercy a good character. Great, Mercy's an awesome character. I don't even play Overwatch, and I know how awesomely cool Mercy is. Most yeah, of people hear but, about it. But it's one of those situations where nobody wants to be the healer because they all want to get the big multi-kill play of the game. Yeah. That And usually that's the part, you know, but it's so funny because um, I usually sit there and I'm like, you know who the most protected character in the game is? If you got it with people who know what they're doing, it's always the healer. Oh, yeah. You protect the healer. Like, that's the most protected character in the game. Like, you you could be the tank. Your job is to run in and get beat up. But, man, you better make sure one person is standing back and making sure nobody touches your healer. Yeah, because there's always a tracer or there's always a sombra just kind of trying to sneak back there and just shank your mercy. And you're yeah. just, well, well, we're down a healer. Now we're all going to die. Yeah, because pretty much what it comes down to, because once the healer falls, your chances of winning in, in any game go to like 20%. Like you could still do it. There's a, you could, there's, there's a good margin of error, but... At the end of the day, your butt is your butt is owned. You're you're dead. You're just dead where you are. Just put the controller <laughs> down and just walk away. Especially if the other side still has their healer. And on that note, uh, on what is probably the one lesson I hope we everybody takes away from this, and that is protect the healer. We are going to uh, we're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we're going to have our notes on, on how to support us here at Gaming Studio Regulars and Monkey Business in general, and we are going to have this uh, today in gaming history, so stick around until then. Regulars, head over to www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. We're part of the media division of Flower City Comic Con, based in Rochester, New York. We're a nonprofit group. Everything we make off of Patreon and everything else we do goes right back into putting on our future conventions and other events. 
from reserving the facilities to bringing in guests. If you pledge any amount, even a slim dollar, you will receive improved access to my blog entries, where every Tuesday I go over current video game news and write retrospectives on old-school arcade games, all delivered conveniently to your inbox. There's plenty of other perks and rewards, and if you don't see what you're looking for, reach out to the crew. They'll be happy to work with you. Want to get a hold of us in particular? You can email Christy directly at k-r-i-s-s-i at fc3roc.org and me at j-a-m-e-s at fc3roc.org. At the moment, we're still working out most social media matters, but we are indeed on Facebook at Gaming Street Irregulars. Chrissy and I are fairly frequently there sharing news and things we find cool and begging, I mean asking, for your questions and answers to be used in upcoming episodes. Yeah, asking. That's the ticket. We love hearing from you all, whether you have praise, constructive criticism, or just want to share something cool and gaming-related yourselves. Also, wherever you find FC3 on social media, we're usually not too far behind. So if you reach out to them with something for us, they'll get it to us shortly. Legally speaking, all music, sound effects, voice clips, and so on are the properties of their respective owners. We make no claim to them and have no intention of profiting off of them. Please don't sue us. We have nothing you'd want. Welcome back, everybody. We are still here with Akakioga, and we are just going to really quickly do our Today in Gaming History for January 28th. This is one that hits especially close to home to me because it is my favorite iteration of this series. In Japan, in the arcade, in 1997, Real Bout Fatal Fury Special came out on SNK's Neo Geo uh, MVS and AVS system, which, of course, the, was both the arcade platform and the home console for the super rich kids. <laughs> that is actually not wrong. It no, really that, 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 the Neo Geo cost $500 in the home version in Oof. 1990s money. Yeah, that's a lot of money. Yeah. I, I'm i just thinking, like, what's $500 now? A PS5? An Oculus Quest 2? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought it, I thought the Super Nintendo back then was a lot of money, where I actually had sat down and started saving it up. Like, it was $200, but in Monroe County, it was $214 because of sales tax. I actually Whoa. figured that out. <laughs> <laughs> I, even, I was like, all right, I'm going to do it with the tax. Um, but, um, Aki Kiyoga, where could our listeners find you if they want to see more of your CODs playing or, uh, support you in any way? So I have a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, coffee, Patreon, and OnlyFans. I have everything. Uh, I have a link tree that I can send you guys to make it a little easier because everything is under one link. So I don't have to send you 8,000 links and bombard you with all of my stuff. <laughs> and oh, we cool. will include that in the description to the podcast. Yep, put it up on the page. That would be awesome. And we also want to quickly mention that Akakioga's OnlyFans is a safe-for-work OnlyFans. Yes, I do safe-for-work. I do both cosplay and out-of-cosplay, just fashion, cute selfies, and things like that. So if you are under 18, it is safe for you to see. And if you are at work, it'll still be safe for you to see. So... <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today in spite of our... Uh, random uh, hiccups that we were both encountering in our day's process. And as we say to every guest, Akakioga, you are always welcome at our table. We would Thank love to guys. have you back. And we would love to have you in person for Flower City Comic Con at one point. I don't necessarily speak for the board, but uh, just between Chrissy and I, we would be thrilled to the gills to have you in town. Speak I'll, for the board. Speak for the board. I'll speak to, how about I speak to the board? That works too. <laughs> okay. I can do that. <laughs> I'm even going to make on a that happy for note. For, for Aki Kyoga and Chrissy Harding, I'm James Irish, and thank you for tuning in to Gaming Street Irregulars. Until next time, game on.